this episode of the Better Health Podcast, Lynn Forbes and Luisa Zondo open up about the loss of their sons, aka Enrique Rick, respectively. The following program contains mature themes that could be triggering. Welcome to Better Health Podcast with Discam. My name is Luisa Zondo, and I am sitting here with somebody that I have come to know in very special ways, Lynn Forbes. I am um, mother to Ricky Rick. My place here is going to be primarily that of engaging as a mother. I like the fact that you're just saying, you know, we are as a mother, because I always think about how we, we've got so so much that we so many hats that we, we that we actually carry or put on. Um, and we operate in different spaces, but being here as a mother today is probably the most important thing. So anyway, I'm Lynn Forbes, uh, better known as Glammy. Uh, Cairo, my granddaughter, calls me Glammy. And from there onwards, everybody just started calling me Glammy. I am AKA's mom. I don't, I mean, I say AKA for me is Kenan Forbes. I've never called my son AKA. And my day-to-day life is about inspiring others. It's about telling stories of my life and through telling my stories like we're doing right now, hoping to, um, you know, make an impact on other people's lives. I think this is exactly what we need everywhere. This is exactly what we need um, because it inspires us to tell our stories. It inspires us to listen Um, to stories of others and pick up lessons from it and be inspired by, by, by that. It is so amazing how much of connection to story people need. Yes. And once that opportunity is opened up, you find that people just pour out and they said, oh, I didn't know that this is how I needed to handle this thing that I felt stuck at. But now that... I'm listening to what you are saying. I am telling myself and retelling and reviewing my own story and coming to something of better energy around the things that I thought were troubles for me. I think you and I have very similar uh, kind of stories in terms of our motherhood and maybe some of the things we're interested in. Maybe we should start our story from where we met. We met when we were training yeah. in those six months leading up to our Kili climb. Absolutely. And we summited together and on, on the, the same day, on the 18th of July on Mandela Day. You know, the one thing that I learned from yeah. that Kili track, mm. the mountain just has to allow. And it might allow on this occasion, but at another it may not. I, I, what really left an imprint in my mind was how people that had been super fit, people who had managed to just go through um, the training process just like that, um, with me trailing behind and always coming in last on, on the day, um, the mountain didn't allow them to go beyond the points that it allowed them to go around. I also do, I, are you correct? And and I I, I believe that the mountain, I, I don't know, So some, I was thinking about this the other day and I thought the mountain has maybe 
trained us or prepared us for the life mountains that were ahead of us. That's the things we are dealing with now. Because when you climb that mountain, you you realize how little you really are, how insignificant you really are in the biggest scheme of things. And um, how, 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 you know, it, it almost humbles you. I believe that these mountains actually bring so much healing mm. and that they have prepared us for mm. what we're going through, which I think mm. maybe we need to start looking at our boys and how they, you know, I don't know, how do you remember Ricky, um, you know, as a little boy? We, what is he? The first is he, but the firstborn. No, no, he Ricky is number two. Okay, Ricky's number two. So the eldest um, is Sheikani, oh, and four years older than him. Mm. I had my firstborn uh, son uh, quite early in life. Um, I was still in university, mm. and this was just an amazing experience for me. I suppose when you are nineteen and you. You, you, you have a, a baby. There's, there's, there's a lot that is just euphoric and unrealistic. And so you don't dwell on the challenges at, 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 the, at that time. So the experience of, of having this uh, firstborn child with the support all around yeah. was just amazing. So going into my senior degree then, I just had this yearning for another child. I just was yearning for another child. And so Ricardo comes out of um, me and uh, his, his father uh, preparing because I just am yearning for another baby. And he then is, is born. His birth was unique as well because I had opted to go to a public hospital because I had had an experience I did not like in a private hospital where I had to, nobody was attending to me. I had to wait for my gynae to show up. Yeah. And so I wanted to go to a public hospital. But it so happened that on this occasion, when Ricardo is going to be born, there is a whole contingent of training nurses that have come from a private hospital and come to uh, gain some real experience mm -hmm. in the public hospital. So I'm being asked to breathe in and out, and I have not gone through any of this. I'm being asked to breathe in and out. My back is being rubbed. I'm being moved from one weaker chair to the another, and all of this. And, and I'm thinking, this is weird, but maybe it's nice. Yeah. So his, his coming <laughs> to earth was, was quite unique. And, yeah. and the funny part about, about it is that when he then comes, uh, the first person who comes visiting close to the visiting yeah. hour is this young man. And uh, the, the nurses assume it's his father. So fluids and all, he is handed over to the <laughs> and this is my sister's boyfriend. Oh, He's ended over to to to, to Bonga, and uh, that created a very special bond between them. But it, he was traumatized. He really didn't yeah. expect this. No, but that's 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 how um, you, uniquely Ricardo starts his life, and he was a very gentle soul, very very gentle, very very connected to home. Whereas his older brother 
was boisterous. He went on adventures with the boys. He, they had a little crew that went out from morning. You'd see them at lunchtime. Yeah. After lunch, they are gone. They're visiting people around the area and so on. He liked staying at home. Very, very connected mm. to heart. Very wa- much Whiskey. wanting that very personal connection to people. Mm. And he grew up to be like that through and through. He, he was. He thrived on almost leaning in and, 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 and mixing the verbal inquiry with everything else, taking somebody's um, how they are. In, in that in that way. Very human, the very human connected person. Very, very personalized, yeah. yeah Kiernan was born um I was just turning nineteen as well when I when I had him. So, you know, I left Kimberley and the small town and I was completely blinded by the big city lights of Cape Town, met his dad, and there I was pregnant. Yes. You know? Yes. That's how that's how things happen those days. <laughs> And um, but anyway, we we embraced parenthood, like you said. And Kenan was born in the same way. He was actually born in in at the Grootskier Hospital. It was also a public hospital. I mean, where did the money come from? We were all students at that time. I can remember Tony's dad always jokes because he says we paid twenty twenty seven rand or something like that for Kenan's whole birth. <laughs> he was a cheap baby. When Stefan came, we things were a bit different. So. Um, he was born there on the 28th of January. No complications, you know, there was, uh, at that point, there was, it was just a natural, normal birth. You breathe and you push out the baby and it's done, you know. (laughs) So no fancy cameras, lights, nothing like that. No bells and whistles, just do your thing and, and he was born and I can remember I uh, it was my first birth that I, the first time I was giving birth and he was the first grandson mm-hmm. he was the first grandchild on both sides of the family so he got all the attention and he oh boy he took it all in because Kiernan was um a little performer from when he was little there were two things that was outstanding about him he his general knowledge was always exceptional. He, he loved reading mm. and he could read from a very young age. And he was very interested in just general knowledge. So he, he was very much somebody that would read. He had a stack of encyclopedias. He would read them and he would perform. Mm. So he was always the entertainer. And I think that is just something that has then carried through his music inspirations also started or you know his exposure to music started very early on because his dad well his dad sings in the shower yeah but he believes you know if you speak to Tony now he'll tell you he's a better singer than Kenan and he'll try and prove that as well um so we we had a lot of fun in the family there was a lot of music going on his dad uh, listened to a wide variety of music and even now if you listen to Kenan's music there's all of those influences even in the current music mm. Mm. It's interesting that um, you picked up the entertainer streak from the, 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 the from his very early age, mm. from Kenan's very early early age, because that was not the case with uh, Rick, Ricardo. Um, in fact, I remember the first time um, when he he actually shared his voice with us. Mm. He was already in high school, and we all said, 
oh, you you can sing, mm. you, you know. We 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 were not aware that he had a, a voice uh, that could sound good. I had no sense that he was even inclined to go in that direction of um, being in music and being an entertainer. I, I just had no sense until um, after his first post-metric attempt mm -hmm. to do a degree because his dad passed after his metric, okay. after writing metric before he got his results. Mm -hmm. And he felt compelled to just do something that is conventional. And so he registered for a, a BA in communications. And that was disastrous. Mm -hmm. And then he sat me down and asked to please do something different and asked me to come with him to go to after. And that's, how, that's where I realized that he is mm, interested in be building a career mm -hmm. as, a, as a creative. Mm -hmm. And so I supported that. I was working for South African Airways at that time and I had duty and they joined. He asked me to buy a beat machine and I didn't know what this was about. Uh, but after some months, he came through and showed me what had happened with this beat machine. Some sounds were coming out that sounded like music. And so I, I had no clue where all of this was going, really had no clue, but... I would always say there's nothing better for anybody in life than to wake up in the morning and say you're going to work. And in actual fact, you are going to do something that you just love to do. And so I would encourage and support, um, even though I really had no clue where all of this was going. Kenan was a little bit of a sneak, sneaky, you know, sneaky one. So to be honest with you, for us in the beginning, we thought they'll get over it. Yeah. We leave them, but they'll get over it. But they didn't get over it because Kenan, during his high school as a teenager, was not problematic. He was a very easy teenager because all he did was he was in his room making music. Fruity Loops, I think it was called. Mm -hmm. Like Kenan told me about rap and I listened. I thought, oh my gosh, my child is a gangster. <laughs> That's what I thought. I was like, this is going to be a bad situation. But anyway, you learn and you warm up to it and, you, and, and we were open to listening to him because they were so set on this. Mm -hmm. And Kenan definitely decided he's not going to university. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, us as parents then, um, yes, we are going to support you, but you need to have something to fall back on. Yes. You need to have a plan B. Mm -hmm. Eventually he wrote a song just to shove it in our face. There's no plan. He called it No Plan B. So all I know, all I know, but yeah. it says this, no this is all I know. Yeah. yeah. I think only then did I honestly start believing that this was all he wanted to do mm. because he he enrolled. We did say to him, you had to do something as a qualification. And this is where the sneaky part came in because he decided to enroll at the Academy for Sound Engineers uh -huh. because he was now going to be studied to become a sound engineer. But what he actually was doing is he was gaining access to the studio yes. at the SABC. And he got himself a job there as, and he started working with some of the, like, Pro Kid them and, you know, and Cooley and all of those people as producing for them. And that's how he started getting his hands in there. And But he was then a producer. Mm. He wasn't he wasn't a hip-hop artist. And he worked and he created jingles for TV ads. But 
all along, all he was doing was he's getting access to the studios. That was 2006. And then he just put all his energy, told us, this is what I'm going to do. And then obviously we were fully behind him. And we were always there, but I mean, I really didn't think it would actually become a career. Nobody ever did any of this before in our families. I think 2011 was when he won Best Male or Best Hip Hop or something at the summers. That was his big, big trip. But before that, I can remember the first time I thought, oh my word, my child is a superstar. He wasn't a superstar, but for me, he was like, he was on Channel O, like Victory Lap, you know. Yeah. And so, so that is how it started with Kenan. And then from there onwards, it just obviously escalated. Mm-hmm. So as mothers, just listening to your story, um, we somehow find our way of being supportive, being involved, but very much out of the limelight. Yes. In order for them to not be concerned or about us, but we are watching, we're gathering everything that we can gather about what's happening. And we move with our children through the ups and downs of the industry that they've chosen. And then you get the news, such as you would have on the 10th of February. Can you just share what that was for you? Yes. Yeah, I mean, as you rightly say, we, we've always been there for them. We love them. They are children. We go through the ups and the downs, and then something like this happens. So the 10th, so what happened, obviously, Kenan as Cairo uh, with Zintle, you know, with DJ Zintle, and, um, but they not together. They've got a really good parenting situation, and our families get, get along really well. When Cairo would spend one week with her dad and one week with her mom, alternating, and when she stays with her dad, I would stay with them for that week, so to help him. And that week, ending on the Friday of the 10th of February, was the week that Cairo and I were with Kenan. That week, he was just... In, in fact, that you know, for a couple of months before that, he was in such a different space, spiritually, just happy, very close to God. He started going to church often. I mean, to to his home cell group with Cabello, mm-hmm. and um, he was just in a very different, jovial space. You know, we spent a lot of time because this was February. Now we just had celebrated his thirty fifth birthday on the twenty eighth. Of January, we've just come back from a family holiday. He's just been on a holiday with Nadia to the States. We've just had Christmas together. So all of that is just that momentum and he's really looking forward to the new year. And that Friday, the, no, actually, let me start on the Thursday night, the, the 9th. Mm. I can remember him and Cairo came back because they, they just started jiu-jitsu together, mm. you know. Um, and so they've just come back from their class that afternoon and they were, you know, rolling around, showing the moves that they've learned and all of that. And my sister was visiting because we were going away for the weekend, um, myself and my sister there. So that is the, this, you know, how things are at that time. And that evening, I can remember, it was the State of the Nation address. And Kenan was sitting there and we were all watching it together. And he said something very interesting. He, he that, you know, there was a bit of 
commotion on on at the state of the nation and he said he laughed and he said this is what you guys are going to be dealing with mm. but i mean at, at now it just sounds like he said it as if i'm not going to be here that night he told me that i should please if i could please wake him up in the morning he wants to greet caro i say, say goodbye to her and have breakfast with her because she's now going back to her mom the Friday and I'm taking her to school. So I wake him up the next morning and normally it's difficult to get Kenan to wake up. But this morning he wakes up and he's in the kitchen. He loved cooking and he, he makes a breakfast and the two of them were best. You know, they, they had the best fun together. So they're laughing and I'm packing the car. But the, the dining room is just off the garage so I can hear them talking and I can hear him saying to her, I want you to, I think he read, uh, he helped her read because, uh, you know, she's doing some school reading and they're having breakfast. And in that conversation, I can hear him tell, say to her, I want you to know that daddy loves you mm. and, I, and I will always love you. Mm. And, but, but he said that often and they obviously saying goodbye and they're hugging and, uh, and then I go mm. with her and I come back. And Nadia was there and at some point during the morning, Nadia leaves and my sister, and also that that g goodbye with Nadia is also, you know, he's very playful. And, you know, the way they can tease each other. And she had this beautiful little giggle around him. And um, so then she leaves. And my sister and I are leaving to just go to the Mall of Africa because we needed a few things for our trip. And I, he came into the garage to say goodbye to us. <clears throat> Sorry. And um, he said to me, Mom, will you be back before I leave? Because I'm flying to Durban at 3 o'clock. And I said, I probably won't be. And he then says, oh, well, then I won't see you again. And he hugged me. He had the best hugs. Not as good as Stefan's, but he had the best hugs. And, you know, my kids are very physical as well, very loving and physical. And he held me and he said, I love you, Mom, and I won't see you again. And that was my last moment with Kenan. That was the last time I saw him and the last time I spoke to him, the last time I touched him, the last time I heard his voice because normally he would let me know. He knew it was important for me to let me know when he arrives. Mm. He would always phone. He wasn't a texter. He would phone and say, Mom, I'm here, I'm safe. Or he would update me during the day what's happening. Um, and he was very good at that because he knew I needed that yeah. to know that he's safe and this day he actually never did but maybe because we were on our way on a trip and I was with my sister and he maybe he thought it was necessary so we then went to my cousin then who live in Pretoria and we were staying over with him that night and uh on that Friday evening and we went to dinner that night and came back to my cousin's house probably at about probably around 10 you know, and we was just sitting. I can remember I, I was sitting with a glass of wine. Um, you know, everybody's sitting. And my brother-in-law got a phone call from Stefan, my son. And I saw him getting up and walking out. And um, I just heard him say, hi, Steph. You know, and I obviously knew that he was on the phone with Stefan. But I promise you, I didn't think anything about it because they talk to each other all the time. And then we continued the conversation and he came back. I didn't look at him. He just came around, but he didn't go and sit next to his wife where he was sitting. He came and sat next to me, and he put his arms around me from the back. Now, again, it's not a strange thing. We have that kind of relationship in our family, but he wasn't that physical with me. And I 
I, I looked, but I saw my sister's facial expression changing and I knew something was wrong because she said, Trevor, what's wrong? Mm. And I looked at him and his face, I mean, the expression on his face, I knew something bad happened. But I asked, is it, is it mom? Mm. Did something happen to my mom? And he looked at me and he said, he said, it's Kenan. I don't know what happened. I... You know, I don't know, my body kind of, uh. I don't know. It, it was so surreal. I don't think I registered what he was saying. Mm. He said it was skin and, and I didn't know what he meant. And I said, what, what do you, what's wrong with skin? And, and he said he got shot. Mm. And I, I feel now that your body almost, there's almost like a, something that kicks in to protect you. I don't know if you felt that. it. It's almost something that, that kicks in that protects you from the from absolutely devastating news because now he's, he still hasn't told me he died. He said he was shot. Yeah. And I said, I don't think I said it, but in my mind I'm thinking we need to go because in my mind he's somewhere and he needs me mm-hmm. and I have to go. And I said... Uh, I can't remember what I said, but I, the next thing I am said, he said he's gone. And I, um, I, I don't know. I just, I can't remember. I, I think the next thing I was on the floor, you know. Um, I think I was just screaming. Yeah. Um, and I just couldn't process it. You know, I, I literally couldn't um, process it. Um, thank you. Um, it is just the most terrible thing. It's the most devastating, devastating thing that's ever happened. And I think at that point, um, you know, it just becomes this chaos in the room. And um, I can remember Stefan arriving. I can remember getting in the car, going home. But all of this is almost like just a movie mm-hmm. playing in my head. I That was the night. That was how it happened. And I think, uh, and obviously then later on things happen. But in that moment, as we drive even, I keep on asking them to phone again. You know, can you guys just phone again? I said, Trevor, can you just phone again? And he says, Lynn, he's gone. Yeah. You know? But I don't have any detail at this. All that I'm hearing is he's gone. And I don't know. Thank you for sharing that. uh, Can you share how you got got the news? Bianca, Ricardo's wife, calls to say, Mama, I am scared. I am at Ricardo's studio and I can't access it. Um... Please come, Mama. And I and she, her voice starts quavering, and I realize that it's serious. And I I ask her to just please just lean on prayer. Just lean on prayer. Um, I'm going to make my way uh, there. And at that time, as that message comes through, there's almost a whirring sound. A whirring sound don't know whether it's in the ear or through the whole 
body through, but yeah, it's just I know. A, a whirring sound. It I don't know how to stop it, but it's there. And so I try uh, when I uh, uh, get off the call from B. I immediate thing to do is to tell the colleague who's sitting next to me, and I put it in these words. Um, a family member is in trouble. I have to go and see about it. Uh, I'll be back. And I get up. I'm willing my legs to carry me because everything is just out of yeah. normal uh, shelter. Yeah, it's just out. And I walk outside and tell the person was uh, responsible for organizing things that I need had to please organize a car because I didn't drive the uh, car to take me um, to Ricardo's studio. I didn't say Ricardo's studio. Uh, take me to where my uh, family member who is in trouble and needs attention, I'll be back. But I remember this constant restating of I'll be back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I'll be back to... Yeah. It will be okay. As I am driven um, by this young man, Spusiso Zulu, is driving me to uh, the studio. Uh, I get a call that then tells me uh, that um, they've managed to open the door to the studio and they found him. Um, he's hanging from the rafters in, that, in, the, in the studio and... At that point, the news is he's gone. And I I can hear it, but I don't know where it's coming from. There's this bellowing, beastly sound that comes out. And I am crying at the back of this car. And then I suddenly realize that young man doesn't even know what's going on. He, do, he doesn't know what you're crying about. And he's driving in traffic. And, and, and so the words come out, my son is dead. And I, I, I think that's, that's something in me communicating uh, to the young person so that he knows. Yeah. And this, I don't know how long it goes on for. Then another call comes in. No, before a call comes in, I, I then sit up and realize that I've got to do, do things. First thing I do, I'm, I'm calling my eldest son, Sheikani. I'm calling Ricardo's aunt, uh, Denga. I am doing all those things now. And then another, and, and a call comes in. Uh, B is telling me that um, Beggy and the Major League twins are, t are driving him to hospital. Now that gives hope. I'm thinking, uh, oh, they're going to host hospital, so he might still have a chance. So Sibusiso is redirected because of that call to Waterfall City Hospital. And there's this hope now as I get off the car and he's turning around and I walk down as I enter the patio. Sheikani calls my elder son and says, "Hi, Mama. He didn't make it." At that moment, I was down, uh, prostrate like that, and um, I come to to a sound of 
prayer calling upon Jesus. And it turns out, Smusiso, as he was turning his car around to um, go to the exit, saw me go down on the, on the ground and he comes and he prays over me. Just, I, I just don't know how to put it in words, but that moment was, it felt like I am being lifted from this place of being flat on the ground. And the hospital staff come with a wheelchair to get me onto it. Uh, I think that's protocol for them. And my response to them is, you see over there, I'm pointing to the emergency side. There are young people there. Uh, they are in trouble. I need to go and be there for them. I need to su be support for them. And I need to get there on my two feet. So I walk from this point onto the point which is in front of the emergency room and I just hug the young people and I can see the devastation and I then, and then walk into the resuscitation room um, where he's lying on a steel uh, yeah. table and just to, to go back I had nev never been able to engage with um, uh, bodies, and so even at funerals, I would not go to through through the viewing. But in January of 2018, I had had the experience of being in the room when Kumi's sister passed. Okay. So she gave me the gift of of not, you know, losing everything. Um, at the site of a uh, body. And I was able to stay with my son. I was able to take him in. I was able to pray around him. And I felt strength. And I felt his communication. Uh, at that point, even though things were in a mess with me, it it truly was a release. I was able to release. I was able to make stories. I mean, he, I was able to make a, a story which was real for me at the time. It came from me just observing the way in which his hands were positioned, where one, one hand, the right-hand side, was completely open and, and the, the left had a bit of a clench, a little, slightly open like that. And the story for me was, I did what I came for. There's a bit, though, that needs still to be done. Can you all help with it? And so um, I was able to spend time uh, with him. And so when I came out and went to the young people outside again, um, I was able to just be there and it was a lot of doing I now had to call people I'm calling my friend my best friend Oli I am saying Oli you need to help me I tell her and I need her to help me with telling my sisters because they are both in Centurion and I just can't imagine 
telling them on the, over the phone. She, so she brought in support and uh, drove um, uh, through to, to let them know. Uh, my husband, uh, Kumi, was in Germany. He was on a fellowship. Now I have to tell him. And so I go through that process of sitting him down and letting him know and hearing his complete breakdown on that. But the thing about it also is that I think it's this thing of the capacities of the mind and the body kicking in and, and, and helping us to, to be what we need at the time. And so that takes about an hour or so. We are in the space more than an hour. And my friends make their way uh, to the hospital. At that point, we are trying to get home so that when the kids are brought home from school, they find some normalcy and it is us who uh, break the news in, 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 in a normal way. But I'm, I'm saying us just because we were accompanying yeah. uh, 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 Bianca. They, we are going towards the, the parking lot and my friends see us and they come out and they, they break my heart. Literally, it felt like there was this pain in my chest cavity. It's, mm. it's, it, it's like when, when, when the pillar that you lean on presents itself, you just let go of everything. And I think that's what happened to me when, when my friends, my yes. secret pals came. Then you could let go. I could let go and I, I broke and there was literal pain yeah. in, in, in my chest. So, yeah, that, that, that was mm -hmm. uh, the beginning of a process that continued to be unbelievable that mm. you, you say you kept on asking for, for, for Kiernan to be called. For me, it was a constant thing that kept on happening. I would suddenly jolt up to real, realize that I'm asking that question, what's happened? And, yeah. and yeah. suddenly, out of the blue, I would then have to bring back mm -hmm. the, the, the remembrance yeah. that Ricardo is gone. You know, I, um, I'm just thinking about how you're talking about how you needed to be there. Mm. Because in that moment, for me, obviously it was different. He was in a different city. And I had where you were for, for a time by yourself and you almost feel like you, you have to be the person is doing things, there's so much doing. I had my sister with me already, so I, I could literally let go from the start. But I'm thinking uh, also how, um, you know, obviously there was a time when you had to tell the children, and there was a time I had to tell Cairo, and how you go through another very devastating thing, because telling those children, their father, mm -hmm. and I know Ricky had an amazing relationship with his kids, mm -hmm. And Kenan had that relationship with Cairo. And, and sharing that news was another really difficult thing to do. But I'm also um, 
and I mean, we do, we we don't necessarily have to go into the details of that, but I think it's just about being honest. For me, it was about just being, for us, it was so, so Zintle couldn't, she just couldn't do it. And I had to go the very next morning on the Saturday morning and speak to Cairo. And really, it was just basically not saying, Daddy went to heaven. It's about being very honest and saying, Your dad died. What's the question? What happened? He got shot. And it's not that clinical. It is the way you go through that process, telling that child in the gentlest way, but giving her the most devastating news of of her life. She basically couldn't grasp it. She she understood what we were saying, but minutes later she would say, but he's coming back, isn't he? And I don't know how that was for you. No, we had to um, uh, sit with the children. Mm-hmm. So they came come back from school on, on that day, the 23rd, um, and... B, my sister Jackie, um, two of B's uh, close friends from mm-hmm. childhood, Meru and Tanu, and myself, uh, sit down with mm-hmm. with them. They are on the couch, and um, we sit, almost making a circle mm-hmm. um, around them. And the most important thing is to be honest, to be honest, and not to take make any promises. Mm-hmm that are not real, just to be absolutely honest. So all of this honesty in telling the children was critically important, allowing them to uh, experience the emotion of that message about the loss Mm. is real, it's important, allowing them to be assured of things not devastating their life. Mm. Um, so that assurance that their life mm. continues. I don't know where Bianca got the wisdom from, mm. but this is what she just told did. them the truth. She just communicated all those things. She mm. told them about the fact that Ricky's gone. Mm. He, he, he died. Mm. He's not, no longer coming. You're going to be sad. We're all going to be sad. Mm. We're going to go through everything together. You know, nothing's going to change. Your school is going to be okay. Home is going to be okay. Mm. Things are not going to change. Because for children, that's something I have come to learn after you know going through material and so on. They, they, they quickly link everything to the devastation mm. that they are expecting. They put in their own blame, they put themselves in the place of, of blame, mm. they go into real catastrophic and disastrous thinking about how life is going to be and being provided real assurance at that time mm. becomes very important and Bianca did that for the it kids. Did. And the disbelief is going to be there. Yeah. Just that is, it is there with us. With us. They will be constantly needing to take reality checks about what they are going through. And so that was so. I think when I got the news of Ricky's death, Melanie Ramji actually phoned me. And um, I called, but I think before I could even call Ken and he called me. And 
I can remember something that he, he was the utter devastation for him. He was yeah. completely broken by Ricky's death. Mm -hmm. And he, but he spoke to me, maybe not on that day. Um, he spoke to me about mental health. Because remember at that time when Ricky died, Kiernan had lost his girlfriend a couple of months before. And he was going through his own really dark time. And um, he's, he's talked about the depression he, he went through. And one thing he said to me, he said, it's very difficult to be a man and uh, not being able to express what you're dealing with. Because the world expects you to just carry on. And even when you try and share your your troubles with the men around you, mostly you just get a, come on, a pat on your back. Come on, you can do this. You, come on, you need to, you know, you, it's almost you, you just need to, sh you know, shake it off and you can do it. And um, so that was one thing uh, that I believe. So for Kiernan at the time, dealing with his girlfriend's death, um, dealing, uh, you know, with all the social media attention around that, and not just the social media attention, but the, you know, the how social me media positioned and, uh, you know, her death around him. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health issues and is in need of help, visit sadek.org or call 080-012-1314. You are not alone.